As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor of fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Sunny D, your Gushers, and your Thai Beanie Baby, and let's get into the episode. Hey, you guys. Hey, guys. All right. Well, here we are. Yep, we're right here. And here you are. There you are. Oh. It's like a bear in the big blue house. Yep. It's you. (laughs) (laughs) There you are. Yes. Um, All right. We got um, another murder mixtape coming right at you. Cleopatra coming at you. Yep, just like that. Yeah. Um, We've got some (laughs) trigger warnings today. Uh, We're going to talk about some sexual assault. Stabbing. Murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We want to thank Ke- Kayla LaCorps or Kayla LaCour. Not sure. Yep. I'm so sorry um, for requesting it and Mark for writing it up. Yes. Why don't you give us a little overview? Okay. On the evening of August 2nd, 2006, Robert 6th. Uh-oh. What is going on? Robert Wan stayed late after work and decided to stay at a friend's house instead of making the train ride out of the suburbs or out to the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Robert spoke with his wife throughout the day and eventually told her he was heading to their friend's house, but he would be dead only hours later. Despite evidence pointing to a sinister end at the hands of the three men in the house with him, Robert Wan's unsolved murder is one of Washington, D.C.'s most notorious cases. Jeez. All right, but you guys know it's the mixtape. So we got to go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the only way to go back to the beginning is with our queen, Hilary Duff. Yes. Let's go back, back to the beginning, back to when the earth, the sun, the stars all alive. 
Robert Eric Wan was born June 1st, 1974 in Manhattan, New York. Growing up, he was raised in Brooklyn. He was the eldest of two sons to William and Amy. He was a fourth-generation Chinese-American. Robert's great-grandparents immigrated from China to the U.S. in the 1930s, and the family has lived in New York ever since. Robert was a bright kid who easily made friends, and people described Robert as the kind of person to do good deeds just for the sake of doing them. So, like, in college, he snuck out of his dorm once to clean bird poop off of school statues. Just to clean them up. Mm-hmm. And he would actually put change into parking meters that were about to expire so that people wouldn't get parking tickets. <laughs> he didn't even know these people. He would just be like, oh, man, that's about to expire. That sucks. What that's a sweetie. Them. I know. Yeah. When it came to school, Robert was dedicated and he knew what he wanted. He graduated from Zaverian High School as valedictorian. And afterwards, he went to William and Mary in Virginia as a James Monroe scholar. And according to the William and Mary's website, less than 10% of undergraduates receive this. And quote, Monroe scholars demonstrate a concern for community, intellectual depth, curiosity, and devotion to learning for learning's sake. While there, he worked in the president's office as an aide. That feels very like, wow. I know. I mean, he was making some big old strides, wasn't he? For sure. Robert also joined a secret society when he was in Virginia. It was called the 13 Club. Um, There's not a lot of information out there regarding the 13 Club because it's a secret. Right. Some members' families don't even know that they're a part of it until after they die. But the 13 Club is not some, like, high society, like, evil-doing secret society. They're a club that does good deeds and philanthropic work around William & Mary's College for the betterment of the school and their peers. Again, just so sweet. Yes. Robert graduated from William & Mary's in 1996, and then he went to the University of Pennsylvania Law School and graduated with honors in 1999. Following his graduation from the University of Pennsylvania, Robert served as a law clerk for Judge Raymond A. Jackson of the Federal District Court of the Eastern District of Virginia. After that, he landed a great job with the prestigious law firm Covington and Burling in Washington, D.C. And while he was there, Robert became a rising star within the Asian American legal community, serving as the general counsel for the Organization of Chinese Americans. He was involved in everything. I know. In January of 2002, Robert attended a legal conference where he met Catherine Yu. Catherine was from a family of Korean immigrants who had her own list of academic achievements and accomplishments as well as building a career as a lawyer. Kathy had grown up in Chicago, and the two hit it off immediately. After the conference, they started a long-distance relationship, which quickly turned serious. And they were like, flying back and forth to visit each other like once every couple weeks. Like, Mm. they were in it, man. Within a year, Robert proposed and Kathy moved to Washington and they were married in 2003. And friends and family described their marriage as blissful and loving. In 2006, Robert had begun to feel like unfulfilled isn't the right word, but he just felt like he could do more for his community, more than he was already doing. Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. He was achieving a lot of really good things at Covington and Burling in D.C., but he wanted to serve his community and heritage to the best of his abilities. So he talked with Kathy about leaving his prestigious job and trying to get a position as general counsel for Radio Free Asia. 
And um, Radio Free Asia, or RFA, is a U.S. government-funded nonprofit that broadcasts radio and online news programs for audiences in Asia. And their mission is to provide accurate and uncensored reporting to countries in Asia that are censored by their government, right? Mm-hmm. Places like North Korea, like where you're not going to get anything other than what your government wants to give you. Their goal is to give these people accurate and uncensored reporting. While making a change of this magnitude would have meant a huge drop in his income, Kathy was all in on this career change. And I read an article that said that she told him, I don't need to drive a Lexus. I'm happy with our Honda. Oh, so sweet. Yes. She wanted him to do what would make him happy, what would make him feel like feel fulfilled, what would give him like a sense of purpose and something that he could be proud of. Yeah. And she also had a great job with a healthcare consulting firm and they would be totally fine with her salary. From there, Robert applied and started to go through the interview process with RFA and not surprisingly, Robert got the job. And in early August of 2006, he was settling into his new position and was the president-elect of the Asian Pacific American Bar Association. Just amazing. Like, I've lost— that he accomplished. Yeah, I've lost count of all of the things that he's done in, like, two years. Mm-hmm. Robert decided that he was going to stay late one evening and meet the night staff at RFA and attend a CLE, which is continuing legal education class. And typically, he and Kathy carpooled from Oakton, which is a suburb of D.C., into D.C. for work. So Robert decided— that he was going to stay late, but since he was going to do that, it would be better for him to just stay the night in D.C. and then go home with Kathy after working the following day. It's so, it just drives home this seemingly minuscule decision to change his routine. Mm -hmm. And he dies. Right. You know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to stay with a friend tonight rather than coming home. Okay, cool. See you tomorrow. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. August 2nd started as any typical day for the Wands. The couple went to the gym near uh, near their house before taking the metro into D.C. The things that they packed into a oh day. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> before they went to work. It's amazing to me the how driven and uh, ambitious. It's just, oh, wow. Hey, you guys. Um, it's us again. Yay, it's us. We threw, we threw you for a loop on this one. <laughs> uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking like WTF, where are episodes one through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us, just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our, what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. 
So they kissed, they parted ways, they went to their offices, they emailed one another when they arrived safe and sound, which was a daily habit. After the workday, Kathy went home and Robert went to a CLE class with a coworker. The coworker said they grabbed a sandwich from Subway and ate together. The class ended around 9.30 and the coworker confirmed that Robert attended both classes offered that night. Afterwards, he got a cab. He called Kathy on the way back from or to RFA to meet the night staff. He told her that when he left work for the night, he would be going to a friend's house to sleep, and it was the last time Kathy talked to her husband. A little after midnight, Kathy got a call from Joe Price, the friend that Robert was staying with. He said, quote, I can't believe I'm calling you about this. Go over to George Washington Hospital. Robert has been stabbed in the back. So Robert left RFA. He went to the house that Joe Price shared with his partner, Victor Zaborski. Robert had met Joe at William and Mary's, and Joe was a senior when Robert started to attend the school. Joe was also a lawyer and was very active in the gay community of Virginia and D.C. After he graduated from UVA, he became the president of the Gay and Lesbian Alumni Association. In 2006, Price worked at Arendt Fox, a world-known high-powered law firm with offices in D.C., Victor or uh, Robert's partner Victor worked as a marketing manager for the Milk Processors Education Program. They're the people behind the Got Milk campaign. Milk Processors Education Program. Like there yeah, really is everything for everything. Like there's right. something for everyone, you know? Like <laughs> Yeah, I mean like in the great words of Lauren Hill, everything is everything. Exactly. Like yeah. if you're like I you know what I really I, I like milk a lot. I'm going to work in milk. Yep. Yep. Got a job that's in exactly milk. That's exactly what Victor did. did. Robert and Victor were pillars in the gay and lesbian community. They often held events and fundraisers. And in 2004, they began a polyamorous relationship with Dylan Ward. And the three of them moved into a $1.2 million townhome. Damn. I know. So this townhouse is the one that Robert went to stay at. The thruple was close with the wands. They hosted Robert's 30th birthday party. And Joe and Victor even attended their wedding in 2003. When Robert told Kathy he was staying with Joe, she didn't give it any thought. She was like, okay, cool, awesome, no big deal. A little before 10.30 p.m., Robert called Joe, probably telling him that he was going to be heading to their house soon. Joe said that they had just finished up dinner and Robert arrived between 10.30 and 10.40. Joe's house was just a short cab ride away from the RFA office. And according to Joe Price and Dylan Ward, when Robert arrived, they talked in the kitchen for a little bit. They drank a little bit of water. Victor was upstairs watching Project Runway when Robert arrived and said that Joe joined him to watch the last 10 minutes or so. Dylan Ward said that he took a sleeping pill and went to bed, and he was reading a book for a few minutes. Robert took a shower before heading to the guest room, and Robert's, or Dylan said that he heard Robert leave the bathroom and go to the guest room and then close the door. Joe said that it was a hot night, and he told everyone to close their bedroom doors to maximize the air conditioning. Joe watched a few minutes of TV, but Victor wanted to go to sleep, so they turned the TV off and they went to sleep between 11.05 and 11.10 p.m. The townhouse had an alarm system that would make a chime sound when an exterior door was open, and Joe and Victor said that they were woken up by the sound of the chime, but they didn't think anything of it because they had someone sublet the first floor, so they thought that she had just come home, but she was at a friend's house and she wouldn't come home that night. A few minutes after the chime, they claimed to hear a series of guttural grunts and low-sounding screams. They rushed to the second floor where they saw the guest room ajar and Robert laying on the bed bleeding from stab wounds. They both said that they never heard anyone run down the steps or another door chime after that. Right, which would, it would have chimed unless it was left open. Right. 
If somebody's going to run out, the door would make another fucking sound. Absolutely. I mean, that's common for a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, like I've, I've been in a house where they have that and it's like, you know, um, garage door mm-hmm. or it makes the chime noise. Like yep. it, yeah. So Joe told Victor to call 911 as he knelt by Robert to try to stop the bleeding. And with Victor on the call or on the 911 call, Dylan Ward came out to see what was going on. The three men theorized that someone broke into the house by climbing over a security fence in the back, then stabbed Robert, and then escaped. And that's what they told the 911 operator as well, that someone broke in and stabbed Robert, then left. And I think we should play the 911 call audio just to, I don't know, for shits and gigs. Why not? Okay. Sorry. What were you saying? If the door opens so they can get in. If the door opens so the paramedics can get in the home. I'm going to go down. Is this a private home or apartment? It's, it's a home. It's a home. It's 1509 Swan Street, Northwest. The person had one of our my knives. The person that stabbed him ran out the door with a knife? I, I think so. Uh, okay, anybody get any type of description of the person that came in the home? I have no idea. We have no description. We heard we heard the chime and, and we heard the scream from our friends. Okay. And so we... Came running downstairs. We ran in. So you both was upstairs, and your friend was downstairs. Yes. You heard the door open, and then you heard the scream. We didn't. I didn't hear the door open until after the scream, and then we ran down the stairs, and we heard we are we have an alarm, and so the chime went off. Okay. Is the ambulance? We really need the ambulance. Okay, they in They in wrong now, ma'am. All right. So when the paramedics arrived at the townhouse, they were creeped the f out, and that's what they said. Um, one later said that it made the hair on the back of his neck stand up. The three men were calm and not acting like one of their friends had been stabbed at all, which we know doesn't necessarily mean anything. They could be in shock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just a lot of stuff here. Mm-hmm. Victor was on the front steps in a white bathrobe when they arrived, and he pointed them to the second floor. On the way in, they passed Dylan Ward, who was also in a white robe. They ask him what's going on, and he says no words. He just points to the guest room, and then he goes in his own room and shuts the door. Which, wouldn't you think there'd be some interest in, like, is he going to be okay? Right. I don't know. It's interesting. It's bizarre. When they arrived at the guest room, they found Robert in the bed in a t-shirt and shorts. His head was resting on a pillow that only had an indention from his head. And his body was on top of the sheets. It looked like the bed hadn't been used at all. Robert did have his mouth guard in, which he wore at night due to teeth grinding. Joe was sitting on the bed in only his underwear. And paramedics asked what was going on, and he told them he'd heard a scream, and he moves out of their way. And one of the paramedics said that he gave them a really uneasy feeling, and he kept his eye on him the entire time, particularly his hands, and he wouldn't put his back to him. Which, again, is not evidence, but he's just got a weird feeling, right? Mm Mm-hmm. When they began to look at Robert, they saw three slit-like wounds in his abdomen and absolutely no signs of life. There was a slight film of blood that was on his body, but it was more like that the blood had been wiped and smeared there Mm. and three holes in his shirt that matched up to the wounds on his body. They quickly loaded Robert onto a stretcher and got him to the hospital, and he was pronounced dead on arrival when they got to George Washington Hospital. At the crime scene, it's noted that the three men still there all looked like they were freshly showered before the paramedics arrived. Part of that being that, like, 
from what I've read and everything, it seems like they their hair was wet even. Like, this is like freshly just stepped out of the shower, all of mm-hmm. them. And of course, you know, Joe has no un- or no clothes on. Um, the other ones are in fresh bathrobes. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. They were all acting subdued as well. And just all the paramedics noted that, like, they just didn't seem like, okay, not only has somebody just been murdered in their home, right? But wouldn't you be a little terrified that somebody just broke into your home and fucking stabbed somebody? That could have been you. You could have been in danger. Like, there could be somebody still somewhere around the house. Like, you're not worried at all? It's just, it's, I don't know how I would act, but I'm not sure that I would just be so flippant about it. I have more lingering emotions from when I see a spider inside my house. (laughs) Like, right. You know? So Joe Price told the first officer to arrive on scene that they found Robert by the patio door, and then they took him upstairs and put him in the bed. Mind you, he's been stabbed at this point. Right. Absolutely no sense. Why are you going to hike his ass up the stairs? Wouldn't you lay him down on the floor right there? Mm-hmm. take him to the couch maybe or, or somewhere on that same floor. You're not going to bring him upstairs when he's been stabbed three times. That makes no sense. And the officer at the scene called him underwear guy, I think in his report or her report, I can't remember which, but um, they were like, go and put some fucking clothes on, dude. Um, one of the paramedics said that when they saw Robert's body, it looked like that Robert had been showered, dressed, and then placed in the bed. Now, they did say that they thought Robert had taken a shower before he went to bed, but it even looks like he's been showered since the attack. Mm -hmm. They noted that none of Robert's personal items were missing. In fact, nothing from the house was missing at all. Remember, this is a $1.2 million house. They got some nice shit in it. This is 2006. Mm -hmm. Several thousands of dollars worth of electronics were still on the first floor. So it would appear that if somebody broke in... Their goal is to strictly kill Robert and leave. Because they didn't... make any sense. No, they didn't, they didn't bother anybody else. They didn't look for anybody else. They somehow went straight to the room that Robert was in and killed him. Right. And they steal nothing. And they did find two wallets. Um, Robert, I've never heard of this before, but it's freaking smart. Robert always carried two. One is a dummy wallet in case he got mugged. That way he could give the wallet to somebody and be like, be on your way. But actually, none of my real shit's in it. Like, that's really smart. Yeah, that is really smart. Um, His Blackberry and mouth guard case were there, too. On a nightstand beside the bed, there was a black-handled knife that was from the kitchen downstairs. It had Robert's blood on the blade. Joe said that he moved the knife from Robert's stomach to the side table. So, like, if you find my fingerprints on it, that's why. Hmm. Which is an interesting thing to think in that moment, but I don't know. I mean, he's a lawyer. I don't know. I don't know if I would think that in the moment or not. Yeah. But when they tested it for fingerprints, they didn't find any. So that's interesting. There was a white towel near Robert's overnight bag, and it had a little bit of blood on it. But besides that, the room appeared to be undisturbed, and the investigators noted that there was no sign of forced entry to the house at all. Police searched the house, including all the men's rooms. In Dylan Ward's room, they found several sex toys, many of which were described as being used in BDSM. Amongst the toys, they found an Aerostech machine? Aerostech? How do you say that? I don't know. I was thinking Aerostech, but I don't know. Okay. Um, Because I'm thinking like erotic. 
but I don't know. Anyway, it's a machine. It's like a stimulation device that is used to induce ejaculation in men via prostate simulation. Stimulation. What did I say? Simulation. You're not simulating a prostate. You're you're stimulating, stimulating it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't need to simulate it. It's there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know why I don't personally feel that men need extra help with that, but I don't know. I guess maybe some you do. do. Yeah, maybe you do. I don't know. They also found ecstasy after a drug dog alerted on it. Cadaver dogs were brought in and they hit on the dryer and a drain in the back patio. The garden hose was unwound and the drain cap was removed from the drain. Also in Dylan's room, they found a cutlery set rolled up and one knife was missing. Dylan's mom said, look, there's nothing weird about this fucking knife set in his bedroom, okay? It was a gift when he graduated culinary school. And sure, there's a knife missing, but I kept that knife as a memento. No, you didn't. Yeah. You don't give a fucking culinary graduate a knife set and be like, but I'm keeping one of them. You give them right. the knife and then do you know where they you buy? Yeah. They put them in the kitchen where they will then use them for culinary fucking activities. Right. They don't keep it in their bedroom. That's weird. It is weird. And especially because one knife was missing. I, it's it's bizarre that they have an answer for everything. Because yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And the knife that they found in the bedroom is not the missing knife from the set. It's from the kitchen. But it's also not the knife that was used to kill Robert. Right. And we'll get into that a little yeah. bit. So, like, where is this missing knife? And why can't Mrs. Ward produce it? I don't know. It's just weird. You did not keep it. Like, why would you give a give chef— a gift and then keep half of it? Yeah. Like, you don't give it— Yeah, you don't give a chef, like— Chef. A chef a gift that he would then use in the kitchen and then keep it and then be like, well, you can have some of it, not all of it. Yeah. No, absolutely not. As the three men were talking with the investigators, Dylan started to say something and the investigators said that Joe just glared at him and then Dylan like shut his mouth. And so then they separated them and questioned them individually. I don't understand why they didn't do that from the beginning, but I guess they're doing it now. Joe was described during his interrogation as arrogant, flippant, and aggressive. And this is supposed to be like his best friend. Hmm. Victor was initially tearful, but turned passive pretty quickly. Dylan was completely detached and distant. All three men said the same thing. It was an intruder that stabbed Robert. But they don't know that. But they don't know that. No, they don't know that. After their initial interrogations, all three men hired lawyers and refused further questioning without lawyers present, which we do not view as a sign of guilt at all. If you're guilty, if you're not guilty, get a lawyer. Like, always lawyer up. But they did submit DNA fingerprints and hair samples when asked. So I would still overall call them cooperative in the sense that I think they still talk to investigators just with lawyers present. Right. And they did they did everything that the lawyers asked them to, like submitting DNA fingerprint and hair samples. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were completely stonewalling or anything. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. not cooperative less. Yeah, exactly. All right. But then we get the autopsy back. The autopsy revealed that Robert suffered three stab wounds that penetrated his right lung, heart, and abdomen. Each was between four and five inches in depth. And there were no defensive wounds or signs of a struggle. Listen, I'm sorry to stop you, Mm -hmm. but these stab wounds, there were three. 
one stab wound, too many stab wounds, three stab wounds, three too many. Um, we've talked about people being stabbed to 30, 48 times, something mm-hmm. like that, you know? These three, the magnitude of these three stab, the, his heart yeah. and his lung. Right. Like any you know of them I mean? could have been fatal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And for sure. I'm thinking some people have survived three stab wounds. Like, why couldn't it have hit anywhere else? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're, I mean, you don't have to be a doctor to know approximately where the heart is located, approximately right. where the lungs are, you know? Yeah. Right. But you do have to go through the breastplate to get to the heart. Uh-huh. I mean, you've got to. You got to do yeah. stab with some force. Yep. I mean, he was meant to be killed. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. They estimated that um, Robert lived for at least 60 seconds after the first wound, most likely longer because his digestive system was filled with blood and veins in his eyes had ruptured, which were signs indicating that he was struggling to breathe. Mm-hmm. That's awful. Mm-hmm. They also noted that there were several needle puncture marks on his body, his right ankle, left neck, chest, hand, and left forearm. Three of those are able to be traced to the medical treatment that Robert received when they were trying to save him, but the others can't. No drugs were found in Robert's body when they ran the basic screen, and Kathy said that Robert hadn't had any doctor's visits recently, which would have resulted in needle punctures or like blood draws or anything. Robert's blood wasn't tested for any type of paralytics, and there was no blood saved or stored for future testing. During the autopsy, they also found Robert's, and this is very strange, but remember the machine we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. They also found Robert's own semen around his genitals and in his anus. His own. Mm -hmm. That really struck me. Yes. There were no fibers from Robert's t-shirt found in his wounds and no blood on the cutting edge of the knife. There were two splats, two splats. Yeah, Uh uh-oh. Two splots. Splots, yeah. Two spots of blood on the bed, but those were from the paramedics working on Robert and moving him to the the stretcher. So the blood pattern on the towel was not consistent with having been used to put pressure on a wound, as Victor said they did in the call. It was, however, consistent with having been used to wipe blood on another surface, like a knife blade. And the blood on the knife that was on the bedside table looked like the blood had been wiped on it. It was like smeared, not like, you know, there's a defense. You can see when something has been wiped versus dropped or whatever on something, you know? Investigators doubted that the knife beside the bed was the murder weapon and thought it was the one missing from the kit in Dylan's room, the murder weapon was. The knife uh, that they found was 5.5 inches, and the one that was missing was 4.5 inches. And remember, his injuries were 4 to 5 inches deep, not more mm-hmm. than 5. So 4.5 is right in the fucking middle. Oh, I get it now. Okay. See? See what I'm saying there? I didn't know that 4.5 was 4 and half. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. 4 and okay. twain. Yep. Uh, nothing about the scene lined up with what the three men were telling investigators. Based on the evidence they found at the scene and the results of Robert's autopsy, this is what they theorized happened. Robert was attacked and subdued, given some sort of a paralytic via a needle. Uh, you might also call it like in Worst Roommate Ever on the, um, Call Me Grandma episode, a stupefying agent. 
Oh. They said that like 50 times. Stupefying like agents. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was then sexually assaulted with that machine that I don't know how to say the name of and stabbed to death. Then the men cleaned up outside with the garden hose and washed their clothes, which is why the cadaver dog hit on the drain in the dryer. Police spoke with neighbors, and one claimed that they heard a scream come from the house while watching the nightly news, so this would have been 11 to 11.30. They couldn't say the exact time, but it was definitely when the nightly news was on. But that would give at least a 19-minute gap in the story the three men were telling police. Enough to shower? Yeah, clean up a little bit. Yep. The day after Robert's murder, the three men went to the Wands' home and grieved with Kathy as they told her what happened and paid their respects. And Kathy, at this point, had absolutely no idea that their stories didn't line up with any of the evidence. And, I mean, she wouldn't have a reason to. No, I mean, Joe is supposed to be, like you said, one of Robert's best friends, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, he (laughs) even served as a pallbearer at Robert's funeral. Had she known any of that, that wouldn't have happened, you know? Absolutely, and can you imagine the betrayal she felt after finding it out? No, I, yeah. Within a few weeks, though, things were coming to light. Uh, Police released a statement saying that they believed the evidence at the crime scene had been altered. Quote, technicians were able to determine that the crime scene had been tampered with, including that the area where the victim's body was located had been cleaned. (sighs) Hey, you guys, have you ever wondered about the backstory, like why we call our dad Miss KB? We have gotten this question so many times, we thought we'd release a little freebie for you. So we recorded a Patreon-exclusive Q&A last year, and be warned, we were outside and there was some wind, where we answered this question, and we want y'all to have the answer even if you're not a patron. Yeah, so be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash MissKB, M-I-S-S-K-B, and grab the audio. And don't forget, if you want the full Q&A or access to our entire catalog of over 450 patron-only episodes with all our regular episodes ad-free, you can join the Patreon for less than one and a half Starbucks drinks per month. I mean, that's a good deal. It's a steal. It is. It's a steal. You'll get four episodes per week from us, all ad-free, plus anything fun we do like Q&As or literally anything else. So definitely check it out. And not every tier includes every episode. Yeah, we do have different tiers, so just be sure everything's listed out there when you check it out. But in the meantime, be sure to grab your free audio about Miss KB and how he came to be called that at killerqueens.link slash Miss KB. Over the course of the next year, Robert's case was passed between three separate prosecutors and the U.S. Attorney's Office, earning it what they called vagabond status, which is, I mean, a vagabond is a person who wanders from place to place without a job or home. So it was just getting passed around. The Washington Post released an article about Kathy Wan's frustration regarding the investigation, saying, quote, it has been trying at times as we continue to wait for the FBI to complete their analysis of all the samples that were taken. Kathy decided to hire an attorney to pursue the case as well. She hired one of Robert's former colleagues at Covington and Burling, and that was attorney Robert, or mm, Eric Holder. Holder said that Robert was, quote, a kind and gentle man who was killed in the most horrible of ways. Kathy held a press conference on the anniversary, the first anniversary of Robert's murder, in which they appealed for the public's assistance in getting the killer put behind bars. It was her first public comment on the case, and during the press conference, Holder addressed Joe Price, Dylan Ward, and Victor Zaborski, asking directly for them to come forward and tell authorities the complete 
true details of the night. In October of 2008, Dylan Ward was charged with obstruction of justice. He had since moved from D.C. to Florida and lived in a house that was owned by Joe Price. In November of 2008, Price and Victor were both charged with obstruction of justice as well. All three were released pending trial, but had to wear ankle monitors and had curfews. Part of the affidavit filed against them stated that the three men were not being truthful about what happened that night. The men's lawyers said that the affidavit was full of innuendo, speculation, and assumptions about what happened. In November of 2008, Kathy filed a $20 million law civil suit against the three men as well, with Holder advising on the case since he was he had to withdraw as he was named attorney general by President Barack Obama. I am in awe of all of the things that some of the people that we're talking about have accomplished in their lives. I know. I'm sitting here thinking like, I almost joined the swim team, but I didn't when I was eight because like, what if I didn't have enough time for my homework? <laughs> yeah. And I literally did nothing, but I still got trophies. So I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. Okay. These are some... Some ambitious people. Getters, yes. On June 29th, the judge found the three men not guilty of charges of conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and tampering with evidence. She stated that she personally believed that the men knew who killed Robert, but was not convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that they committed the offenses which they were charged with. I don't understand because, like, they were charged with obstruction of justice. Like, I understand that. But then the affidavit says... We don't think you're telling the truth. That's not a charge. Like, that's very Perjury. vague. But like, but there's no evidence to say that they lied, you know? No, I mean, it's just They a just don't think. Yeah, so like, I feel like they fucking jumped the gun on that a little bit. Well, yeah, if they had done some more investigating and gotten more prepared, it might have stuck if they found something yeah. Some proof and evidence to tie that. Yeah. And to- maybe they thought if we charge all three of them, one of them will fucking come clean. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, it's a tactic, you know, it's like calling their bluff kind of like, I'm going to scare them into thinking, you know, yeah. like, okay, God, we, I got to say something because they're going to get me on it. But it didn't work. No. And if you don't have enough evidence to fucking get a conviction, like you've miffed the whole thing. Yeah, take your time with it. Yeah. I, mean, my gosh. I mean, I know like I want I want this case to be like solved, of course. Yeah, I do, yeah. But if all you have is like I don't think they were telling the truth, like we've never found the actual knife that was missing. Mm-mm. We've never, you know, like you you have to have something concrete that says, and this is how this is how I'm proving that they were lying. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just like they look like they had showered. Well, yeah. I mean, like you said, they've, they, it botch, botch job. Botch job. Yeah. I mean, and again, like I understand, like you want, you think that this has happened and you want to, I mean, I don't know. If they'd gotten in front of a different judge, it might've gone a different way. You know, they may not have been like, there's reasonable doubt here. I, But I think based on what I understand that they had as evidence, I think the judge made the right decision. Right. Legally. Because they, all they really have is like, I just feel like they're holding something back. Right. I mean, yeah, just because you have a hunch 
or you think you're onto something doesn't mean that you actually are. And if you cannot prove it, because we talk about cases where sometimes it does go the way that the justice system or legal system wants it to go and people are wrongfully convicted. So I appreciate that this judge was like, I can't say beyond a reasonable doubt. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. But if the police or whoever are right about how they feel or they truly believe that they're onto something, work through it a little bit longer. Like, because now you've just ruined your chances. Yeah, exactly. Once, I mean, once you get that not guilty, like, I mean, fucking double jeopardy, man. I was going to say double jeopardy. You can't charge them with that again. Like, botched job. Yeah, and we don't know. I mean, I don't know. What do you think happened? Yeah, let us know. But we ain't done. So in August of 2011, the civil suit that Kathy filed against the men was settled for an undisclosed sum. Since Robert's death, many organizations have established scholarships in his honor and dedicated memorials to him, including two benches and Chinese. I thought they were called pistachio trees. Are they just pistache? You know what? I'm just going to Google them. Yeah, pistache trees. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that's what they were called. I didn't either. I thought I've never seen a pistache tree, but I know... I know what the hell a pistachio is, and I love them. Yeah, I like to eat those things. Yeah. But they also planted Chinese pistache trees in Barksdale Field and William and Mary's College. They're beautiful. Are they beautiful? Mm-hmm. They are beautiful. Ugh. The plaques on the benches are a reference to one of Robert's favorite songs, What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. And it says, rest a while and enjoy the wonderful world around you. This is a person was a person who loved people, mm-hmm. who served people. Went out of his way to make the world a better place. Yes. I don't know. Maybe I'm too cynical, but like, like, what a wonderful world. Like, I like that song, but there's just a lot of days that I don't feel that way, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. And I'm just like, and he did. And he mm-hmm. did things to make the world a better place. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And it's just so sad. He got killed for what? Right. We don't know enough to know what the motive would have been. No, we don't know. And I wonder, like, if one of these men... Now, they found that machine in Dylan's room. And I don't know if they found Robert's DNA on this machine or anything like that. I feel like that would have been some definitive evidence that they could have used. So... Either they didn't test it for DNA or they just didn't find it. I don't know. But, and I'm not not trying to be gross. I'm trying to talk through this. They found Robert's own semen on his body. The only other way that that would have gotten there is if he was jacking it and like literally just finished and then somebody came in and stabbed him. But how did it get in his anus? Right. Unless the only other thing I'm thinking is, like, if it dripped down, would that go in, though? I, I'm, I'm not. I don't I, know. I'll tell you. Yeah, but yeah. that doesn't, you know, it also fits having used that machine because of the way oh, the sure, machine because, works. Well, yeah, if it's, if it's stimulating your prostate, it has to go in somewhere. Yep. And all these puncture marks. Mm-hmm. Now, but again, you'd think that the police would find some sort of needles or syringes or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And 
And they did like a basic scan. There's plenty of drugs that that's not going to pick up on. And there's also plenty of drugs that even if it was included in the basic scan, that if they didn't do it within a certain amount of time, it would have not been able to be tested anymore in the body. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many things in this case that are like, could be, but we don't know. Could be, but we don't know. But it doesn't make sense. Just the the idea that somebody off the street, and and I believe that their house was like a gated area too. So they would have had to like get through the gate and all that kind of stuff. That somebody comes in, goes, there's three floors of this house and you have to enter on the first floor from what I understand. Because right. they said they took, they found him on the first floor and took him up to the second floor. But they also changed that later. They initially say that they found him bleeding and they take him up, up the fucking stairs after being stabbed three times. No, you did not. And put him in the bed, which was made. Now, remember, it wasn't Robert supposed to have been in bed already, but the bed has been made. Right. And also, let's just say that they did take him upstairs. How come nobody has blood on them? Where is all the blood? From three stabbed yeah. to the heart? There's right. no blood anywhere. And you know, he's not just going by himself. He's having to lean on somebody. Blood would be on on the floor, on the ground. Exactly. On- he would be dripping blood. You you dripped more blood from breaking your nose all over the fucking house. It looked like a bloodbath in our house when you broke your nose. Both times. I said I was sorry. And I was mad about it. Yeah. I was like, now I'm going to clean up all this fucking blood. I was so mad. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. But like... He stabbed three times and there's no blood and like the in vital places. Yeah. And the towel that they used supposedly to stop the blood was a white towel which had virtually no blood on it. Right. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So, and then later, so initially they say they bring him up the stairs or whatever. And then later they're like, oh, we heard the scream or grunts and all that stuff or whatever. We come down to check it out and he's in the bed bleeding having been stabbed. Again, where's that blood? Right. Where is the blood? It, none of Everybody's it wearing none of it white sense. robes, except for Joe, who has no fucking clothes on. Right. I can only imagine he's wearing tidy whities I don't know what he's wearing. Yeah. But like, yeah, no blood anywhere. Was he stabbed after he was dead? I don't know. Because I don't know. Either they cleaned up. No, but it doesn't make sense, right? Because he, he had blood in his intestines. That's true. That's true. So the blood had to have been cleaned up and like laundry had just been done. Um, The garden hose outside had just been used. I mean, it seems like they cleaned based on like where the fuck is the blood. They would have had to clean up all the blood. If he was stabbed in the bed, they would have had to. But wouldn't there be blood on the mattress? (laughs) Like, I know. Where did it go? I don't know. I don't know. It does not make one bit of sense to me. I wonder if... I've heard this case before. I listened to this a long, long time ago. I believe it was maybe a Generation Y episode, and this has been, like, years. But when when I saw this case come up, I was like, I recognize that name. I remember this case. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, for whatever reason, I'm feeling like I heard it on a Generation Y episode, like, years ago. Right. But... So this idea that I'm having may have either been an idea that I had when I listened to it or maybe they said it. But I wonder if he overdosed on whatever medication. I mean, I don't understand, like, why would you want to sexually assault somebody, you know? And just because Dylan has all these things in his room doesn't make him a sexual predator by any means. There are plenty of 
people who consensually would use all these things, you know, that's fine. But like, so I don't under, the motive doesn't make any sense to me at all, but did somebody, one or multiple people in this house, inject him with something? He had some kind of a reaction to it. And then they were like, oh shit, we have have to to make it look look, like it look. Yeah. Yeah. Because an intruder wouldn't come in, use things from within the house sexually. No. You know, they would have had to go into Dylan's room to get that out, right? Right. So that wouldn't make any sense. So now we've got to make it look like he's been stabbed. And who knows where the knife went. But his mom didn't keep it. Because, again, if he was graduating from culinary school, she wouldn't be like, you can have three knives, but not four. Because, like, all the knives are used for different shit. And if you're, like, an actual chef, you're going to, like, use all the different kinds of knives for, like, different shit. Right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's a technical term. Right. All the shit. And then there's different knives for different kinds of shit. And then, yeah. Exactly. Because if you don't have all the knives for all the shit, then there's some shit you just can't do. Exactly. You're not going to do the shit the right way. That's for damn sure. Yeah. I don't know. It just, but it does, it like, it doesn't make sense. And then the other thing that doesn't make sense to me is, I mean, we've said this so many times because we heard it somewhere else, but like in this case, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. How are all three of them not giving up any information? How is that happening? I have no idea. Unless, I mean, somebody, I feel like Joe has quite a bit of money. Yes. Yeah. And that's another thing. Dylan is living in a house that Joe owns. Is he paying him off? Yeah. That's, I mean, that, you know, hey, if you give up any information, you lose your home. You lose, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I don't either. I and mean, we just, there's so much we don't know, so much that it seems like the police don't know. Yeah. And it also, I don't know, it also feels like to me, like, Joe and Victor had been together for quite some time by this point. It seemed like Dylan was kind of a newer addition to the sure. relationship. But it it seems like if, say, Dylan acted alone and was like, why would they take the fall for him? Exactly. Why would they cover it up? For him, like, it seems like they would be like, I don't know, but he fucking did it. Unless they were like, they're going to think we all were in on it, but I don't know. I mean, it seems like you would, you'd throw his ass under the bus if he did it. Especially if this right. is somebody you were such good friends with. Mm-hmm. None of it makes any kind of sense to me. It doesn't. I don't know. It's so strange, but the sexual aspect of it, I don't know. Unfortunately, the evidence doesn't point definitively anywhere, but it certainly doesn't point outward. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to point outward. Yeah. Well, guys, I mean, let us know what you think. Yeah, for sure. Let us know. Yeah. It's a it's a freaking wild case, man. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. And you know what? In honor of Robert Wan, I want to say this. Go out and do something nice. I don't care what it is. Put a quarter in a parking meter. Help somebody carry their groceries up a flight of stairs at your apartment complex. Instead of walking past garbage on your sidewalk, maybe pick it up and throw it away. And you know what? Post that shit on Instagram. Tag us at KQ True Crime and we'll send you a fucking t-shirt. Wow. I'll send out 100,000 t-shirts this week. I don't even care. Wow. Maybe not 100,000, but... 
<laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Like, do yes. something nice and do it in honor of Robert. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we'll give, I'll, well, I'll give you a t-shirt for that all day long. Go for it. Yeah. Want to see us do something nice. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, we love you guys. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. And we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.